One chance, one life, one take. Little room for mistake. Who do you want to be? Yep, baby. Hello, hello. So welcome to the Dead Funny Dead Serious podcast. Today, our guest is Benny Kapal. Uh, let's just dive right in. Benny, who the heck are you and what do you do? Hi, Mitzi. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Who am I just ultimately just everything and anything. Uh, Ben, I'm a fourth generation funeral professional out of a small Norman Rockwell town, Ida, Michigan. I am a um, very happily married husband of two beautiful children. I am also a bassist and singer for punk bands. I have a podcast called Let's Talk About Death. So I'm a podcaster and also a YouTuber um, I have a channel called Kapal's Corner where I talk to local entrepreneurs. Hmm. So yeah, that's me. I'm I'm kind of all out there. Um, not only that, but um, I am also part of so many associations and things. I just I, I do too much. Too much. When so today we're talking a little bit about the funeral industry and how you got into it. Your fourth generation. It, it's kind of obvious how you got into this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to stop you there and call it the funeral profession. Um, I, I think all of us in the funeral, um, especially professionals and balmers uh, and funeral directors, we, we worked very hard. I think we should be called professionals. Um, so I'm going to tip my hat to all my funeral professionals out there. But yeah, I, I was born and raised in the funeral home. I remember playing like Nerf guns in the arrangement room and in the casket room and dad getting all sorts of mad at me and my identical twin brother for causing all sorts of havoc in the funeral home. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I can share that a little bit um, in a different way is mm-hmm. that I grew up in a uh, flower shop. Oh, yeah. And we delivered flowers to our local funeral homes. And as a kid, I delivered flowers and they would give me the wreaths. Mm-hmm. I'm aging myself a little bit um, for anyone in the funeral industry, probably. Um, but those wreaths on the on yep. thing, I mean, I know we still have them, but they don't look quite the same. Uh, but right. I would, I would take the wreath and they would always hand me the wreath and I would run through, um, what is that called? Like the embalming room? Yeah. Yeah. Like or the, the, the morgue, whatever, the morgue. whatever your, uh, <laughs> funeral home calls it yeah, the back room, right. With all the, the with all the, the creepy stuff. I mean, that's where all the creepy stuff happens. Yeah. And I was so young, just probably like you, like, I didn't know it was creepy until oh. way later when I looked backwards and I was like, I was just a kid going through the the back room of funeral homes like it was you know, you know what though you know what Mitzi I'll be honest though you you have a different perspective about death and about the funeral home because of that right and it wasn't a scary place um the main reason Dr. Nick and I who's my identical twin who's a psychologist got into the death field and profession was because people don't talk about it they don't they don't experience it and when they do it's too late you know for a lot of them and so in your, in your situation, you were young, you know, you, you didn't know any different, which is great because it wasn't a scary place for you to go. Right. It was just them just delivering flowers for mom and dad. Right. And that's just kind of what you were doing. Um, so that's, that's awesome. That's a really cool story. Are you, are you talking about the casket spray? Like the thing that goes on top of the casket? Are you no. actually talking about the, the wreath that goes on the doors? The wreath that goes on the, the A-frame stands. Oh, oh, you're talking. Okay. You're, t- um, they were like, yeah, I, yeah, was, a, the, I uh, was a tiny child. you're you're talking about the the, the sprays that go on and they leave them out out at the grave no well i mean we did those too we dropped um and we did grave um Mm -hmm. blankets and all those things too gotta grow up with all of that um i and just as life is and everything is complicated it got complicated really quickly when my father died when i was seven he was the florist 
Absolutely. His funeral was at that funeral home. Um, It gets really more dynamic as you know, how did you deliver the flowers for your own father's funeral? Um, probably not, but I think everything was a blur. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. I know we're going through the grieving process for sure. I mean, I was seven. I had no clue what was happening. I still don't. Interesting. Well, I'm so sorry (laughs) about your father's loss. That's, you know, that's, that's an incredible. And you were young, you know what? So you got kind of forced into the grieving process. Um, I think the average is in their teen, your teens when you deal with like an intense death, right? Yeah. We all lose great grandparents and stuff, but we don't really know them a lot of the times when we're young or, you know, pets, which don't get me wrong. Pets are amazing, but Mm -hmm. you dealt with uh, the death of, you know, you were, you were half, the, uh, losing a parent, you become this kind of like half orphan too. You know what I mean? There's like, you were kind of robbed of uh, time and experiences with your father and you being a daughter, which I have a daughter, um, we have a different relationship um, that I have with my daughter and my daughter has, I would assume with me comparably mm-hmm. to, you know, a mom and their daughter, or, you know, just like moms have a different relationship with their sons. I'm a mama's boy. So I'll just be honest about <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. It's, you know, how we all get introduced to this in, in different ways. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, going back to you because you're good at this, like you can tell you have a podcast as well. No, I don't. Um, you were naturally kind of ushered into this profession and you accepted it. Obviously. Yes. And no, actually, when I was growing up, I actually was more interested in becoming a psychologist. Wow. And my identical twin wanted to be the funeral director. And then what? somewhere in college, we did the identical twin thing that all identical twins do and surprise everybody. And we just switched literally halfway through college. I think we were both credits away from our associates when I just decided, hey, I kind of want to go on the funeral home. And that same time, he was like, you know, I kind of I think I want to go on the psychology field. So weirdly enough and happened that way. And because we're identical twins, we just say we're both anyways, because no one's going to know, right? That's, no one's going to know the true. difference. <laughs> Yeah, not at all. Um, and so much of, you know, but honestly, our professions are so linked, right? So you're, you're a psychologist too, correct? Uh, and psychotherapist. Yeah. Psychotherapist. Sorry. Sorry. You're, you're, you're there, but you're not there. I get it. Um, so you deal with a lot of, um, problems that are based on grief, right? A lot of your clients that you see are grief. And what people don't understand about grief is it doesn't necessarily have to be about the death, right? You could be grieving the loss of a job, the loss Mm -hmm. of a friendship, the loss of a home, because you're moving, you know, especially at a young age, when you're, when you have to move so many times, you know, you lose part of that. Um, COVID, we lost our lives. We lost our norm normalcy. Um, so that's kind of the big thing that I've learned with um, grieving is if we could all learn a little bit more about grieving, we can learn how to problem solve and every other thing that we deal with in life, right? Mm-hmm. Because it does seem like a lot of most, I'll say most of people's um, issues come from the grief of something. And if they've never been taught how to grieve or that it's okay to grieve, right? Isn't that mm-hmm. scary? You know, yeah. especially with men, you know, you, you keep it in, you don't, you yeah, don't, cry. don't cry. You, you Come on, men don't cry. That's just not, you, you know, just like women don't fart. You know, it's the whole, it's the whole thing. You know, it's just we how it goes. But uh, no, the Dr. Nick and I really try to, because I actually find that the stronger men are the ones that are very emotional because they can let go and they're not ashamed to let go. And it's taken some time because I was, I was born and raised in a funeral uh, director's home. 
So I watched him, how he dealt with that. And he comes from generations of these stoic men that they, their job was to direct you. So there was part of that where you had to kind of separate yourself from your grief and emotions because you have to be there for the family. As I'm getting older and as the world is changing, I'm starting to realize there's a problem with that because people don't look at funeral directors, professionals as human beings at times. They look at us like we, we take advantage of people that are losing people. We, we're, we're, we're scumbags. We're, we're, you, know, you, you hear this all the time. In the news, you don't see funeral director does 5,000 funeral and it went amazing. It went perfect, <laughs> right? No, you don't see that. Yeah. You see the one funeral home that's hiding bodies in, in the attic and all that, um, which don't get me wrong. There's, there's, there's bad eggs everywhere you go. But what I find is, and I was told this at a very young age and it, and it kind of bothered me. And it's so true. Um, I was told if the family doesn't say anything to you, you did a great job. Hmm. And I thought, wow, what a thankless job this job is. And that's one of the reasons I didn't want to be a funeral director for a while. The 24 seven, the 365. I remember my dad leaving during Christmas while we're opening gifts, you know, missing some of our football games. And, and, you know, and it was really, you know, as a, as a youngster, you're selfish, right? You don't, you don't think about those kind of things. Yeah. Couldn't that person die on a normal time, nine to four, you know, <laughs> on a Monday through Friday, not on my birthday. They couldn't um, wait. You know, gosh, you know, Rude. people are just so inconsiderate when it comes to death, but no, <laughs> um, but you know, then as I got older, I realized like, if that was him, I would want that funeral director there right away. You know, I would want that person, especially if we knew them and in a small town, we do everything. So we're doing the night calls. We're doing the embalming. We're meeting the family in the morning, doing the visitations funeral, excuse me. And so, you know, these families get to know you and you become part of their families. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm starting to get to the point now I'm almost 10 years licensed, but been doing this forever since I was a kid, realizing that I'm walking into the same house twice. You know, you're picking up grandma, now you're picking up grandpa, now you're picking up the mom, now you're picking up the dad. And so these families really get to you, get used to you. And it, and it's really hard sometimes because they remember your name, because it's pretty easy to remember the, the two, um, Kapals in your, in your neighborhood that are the funeral directors. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, gosh, I don't remember where it was in 2012, you know? Um, so I'm really working on that, but you know, I I've kind of been circling, so I, <laughs> I apologize, but I think it comes back to the grief, how it's so important that we teach people that it's okay to grieve and it's normal to grieve. And guess what? Everybody grieves different and that's fine. And that's awesome. Are you sure you didn't go to school for psychology? I, you know, what I took is I, I literally probably have, um, uh, definitely an understudy in psychology. I took so many courses and I think any, any funeral director professional after they do it for a certain time, they, we really learn that kind of side. Mm -hmm. There's so much, so many hats that we have to wear as professionals. We have to be, um, be there for the families that are grieving. So that's the psychology side, um, aftercare side as well. But then you also have to be the scientist and the medical student when you do embalming, right? Mm -hmm. The chemist, you have to know these fluids. You have to know the body. You need to know how these uh, how these uh, vessels work in instruments that you use. And then you have to be a salesman, which I think is the worst part of my job. I hate being a salesman. That that should give you right away that I got in this job to take care of families, not to make money by any means, form or shape. Yeah. Um, because I, I, at the end of the day, I, that's that's what I want to do. I want to help you get through the process. Um, what today's society 
gets lost is they don't see the good in grief. They don't see the beauty in death. And there's so much beauty in death. If you can kind of step back and look at everything, there's a reason why we die. If we, if we could live forever, it would be so boring. <laughs> you know, you look at a two-year-old when they, when they look at something, right? They look at the first soccer ball they've ever seen. It's yeah. the coolest thing in the world. Wow. Two colors. You kick it. It's amazing. It's incredible. You know, when you're at man, I'm 33, going to be 34 at the end of this month. And you look at a soccer ball, like, yeah, it's a soccer ball. Like, go ahead. Just go play with it. Right. <laughs> because they're, this is the first time they're experiencing it. So for somebody who's lived 90, hundred years, they've mostly experienced everything. You know, this isn't the first sunset. This isn't the first sunrise that they've seen, not the first car and they're ready. And I, you know, I deal with so many families when we do pre-needs and they can't leave the house, you know, mm -hmm. Dan and I will drive to the house. How, how small town is that? <laughs> small town is that? <laughs> so we're going in, we have conversations and, you know, so many times it's, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see my loved ones. I'm ready to kind of pass the torch on. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt any more or any less when it happens, but I think there's definitely beauty in it. And, you know, I think the biggest problem with death is it's like when you do something for the first time, right? When you went into kindergarten, that fear, right? What is this going to be like? Where is it yeah. going to, you know, that's how I kind of look at death. I think death is just a new door that we're walking through. And that's why it's so scary, right? But after about, you know, a couple of days in kindergarten, you don't even think about it, right? right? You're already, I'm, I'm living in, I'm living it up. I got the two, I got the two recesses. I got my girlfriend. We're going to hug under the, the tunnel. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just life. But um, grief is constant. And that's another thing too. People ask uh, Dr. Nick and I is when is grief going to be done for me? Like, when am I going to be done? When do I graduate from grief? Mm -hmm. And the answer is never. Um, what people don't realize is grief, like anything else is, is like, a, it's like an abrasion. You know, the, you look at the death as you get a cut, right? So the, the, the immediate death is the cut, the pain, the, the, you know, I'm metaphoring this, but you, you understand this eventually, if you take the right steps, grieving process mm -hmm. that, and the medication that you need, or if you need a shot or if you need stitches, that, that will heal, mm -hmm. that will heal. You will heal, but you will be forever changed. There will be a scar. That skin will never look exactly like it used to. You will never be the same person you were before the loss. What you can do is have a more smoother, comfortable life after if you can go through your grief in any way that is, is for you. For some people, it's, I want to punch a hole in the wall. You know, that's why they make pillows, right? Go to your bed, just beat the poop out of your pillow. <laughs> for others, it's, you know, just, have a weekend off and sob, you know, do, do what you need to do. Others, you know, just a, mm, and then I'm back, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's very interesting. And I think that's, I think that's the biggest problem is you can't, um, Nick, our Dr. Nick always says this, and I hundred percent agree. There's no quantifying grief. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't study grief as in, okay, you're going to spend two months now in the anger stage. Then you're going to go right to the bargaining and then kind of go through all the, the, the stages of death and dying. It's not how it works. And even when you do get to acceptance, which some people don't, 
doesn't mean you might start over and go back into denial and anger and bargaining and there's too much education here for everybody. I apologize, but uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to be stuffy at all, but I think that's the main thing I would like to say to all your listeners, uh, Mitzi, which I think what you're doing is incredible. Um, and talking to all these funeral professionals and all these death doulas, and I'm sure you're going to keep going with this to other professions, especially when it comes to death. And it's incredible because the more that we can talk about it, even you as a listener right now, and you, you hear this amazingly beautiful, lovely voice in your ears right now, <laughs> you're, you're going through, you're, you're thinking about grief. This is already, we're starting something because mm-hmm. we do not talk about death in our society, especially in the States. And we need to. Um, and I think the more that we talk about grief, the more that, the, the more that people are going to be able to problem solve and the less anxiety, depression, all these other things that are happening right now, especially in this COVID society, mm-hmm. where we may not have had a chance to go to the funeral home. We may not have had a chance to invite the 12th friend because we had a list of 10. Mm-hmm. These are all things to think about. Sorry, Mitzi, I'm kind of just through, <laughs> keep going. I'm, so I apologize. I'm, here I'm not getting it. much room to talk. That's all right. So um, that's, that's our big thing is education. Educate, educate, educate. Is... Is that the reasoning behind the podcast? Is that it's what reasoning you're behind the podcast. And honestly, I think it's the, the reason now I'm a funeral professional and want to stay. The, the, the reality of funeral professionals is 60% of us are not in the business anymore after five years. And wow. the reason is, is burnout. It's, it's so mentally exhausting. Five years. And five years. 60% of us after graduating will not be funeral directors because it's such a stressful, anxious job. We're always on call. So that's 365, 24-7. And I find it interesting because I think people see us in suits or in nice clothes all the time. We have the hearses and they just assume we're these rich people, which is, which is a lie. <laughs> it is a lie. I can, <laughs> I, can, I can assure you that I buy JCPenney's um, two for one suits because I'm ripping them. I'm going to house calls. I'm, uh-huh. I'm doing heavy lifting. Um, but the other thing is just the mental, you, you know, you go from a 90 year old to a baby, you know, mm-hmm. you're going into a room and you could possibly be in your, as a human, you're not supposed mm-hmm. to see certain things that we see. You're, you're, you're not yeah. supposed to see the trauma and the accidents. And like I said, you're going from one to another. So you might go months without dealing with a baby, but then you might have five babies in a row. And how yeah. do you look at a mother in the face, you know, and try to um, try to be as empathetic as you can without absolutely losing it? And that comes back yeah. to the conversation we had earlier is, would it be more humanistic if a funeral professional just broke down, mm. just broke down in front of a family? You know what? I'm struggling right now. Mm-hmm. because I'm going to go home and I'm going to have my three-year-old son hop in my lap mm-hmm. and I'm burying your three-year-old son. Wow. And then how do you bring that home without um, expressing it? Like mm-hmm. how do you, if you, if you have to keep it in, if you're, if you're going the old school route, right. If you have to keep it in and keep it in, I wonder a lot of us, funeral professionals, a, are either alcohol <laughs> alcoholics, I mean, because mm-hmm. surprise, um, right. or, um, that was always the joke when I got into this was, um, funeral directors die of two things and it's, um, lung cancer, or liver cancer. 
because we're apparently we're all smokers and drinkers. I don't smoke, but, uh, wow. um, you know, Sign me up. You because, you know, going, going into any job that's extremely high, high anxiety, high stress mm-hmm. is you have to be able to release it somehow. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what, how can you release it when you're 24, seven, 365? Absolutely. When you're on call all the time, you can't, when, you know, and I'm not saying every job has its ups and downs. I'm, I'm just saying for my specific profession, if you're always on call, you can't separate. Yeah. You can't, you really can't. And you have to be on. It's not when you get a death call, you can't lazily show up to somebody's house. Right. So you, you have, have to be suited up. You have to be, yeah. look nice. You have to be mentally prepared to mm-hmm. go into probably in most situations, the worst day of these people's lives. Mm-hmm. And then you have to basically tell them, you know, what are, what are, what are our plans? Like, what are we doing? And then they come to the funeral home the next day and then yeah. you got to ask them or show them this um, enormous amount of money mm-hmm. that they're going to have to spend. And so it's very challenging because, and that's another misconception is that all the money for a funeral goes to the funeral home. That is, that is ill, ill conceived. Okay. And prices are going up and everything, right? Caskets are going up. Absolutely. Burial plots. You, you know, you could go to one cemetery and it's five hundred dollars for a burial. You go Mm -hmm. to another cemetery and it's two thousand dollars. You know, obituaries. They used to be, you know, free. You know, now, and I remember when I was young, it was fifty dollars. And now, it's it's not unheard of for six hundred to a thousand dollars for an obituary. Absolutely. So when they look at. So if you actually love them, right? Like, you know, if you want to say something nice. (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, and that's, and that's so hard is like, because people will call and say, well, well, how much is it going to be for a a funeral? Mm -hmm. It's like, I really can't tell you that unless I know all the specifics, like where are you going to want it? Because if you talk about two or three papers, a thousand dollars, that's $3,000. Yeah. Of the bill. It's, you know, that's a fourth or a fifth of the bill. If you're going to just do that and. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it's, it's very, very, so anyways, going back to, this is all going in your head, but the second you get this death call. Yeah. So then you, you have to be able to separate. You have to be able to um, have hobbies and that's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a punk rocker. I think that gets out of my aggression mostly <laughs> at a, a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. What a great hobby for, for everything you're talking about. I, and I just want to thank you for sharing all those pieces that people aren't putting together, right. That, about what your job actually is. The challenges, I think you covered just such a lovely array of, of the challenges. Um, and for any of our death psychology listeners, you know, we're talking about vicarious trauma, um, mm-hmm. what it is that you take home with you. Um, it's not easy to, no. to put that down. Right. We, I, we talk about like, we're carrying all this stuff and, you know, we need to put some of it down, um, before we go home and it's easier said than done. Um, because those stories are real and those people in front of you crying on the worst day of their life is real. So. Ooh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. There's, you know, and there's death anxiety that's going through us as professionals Mm -hmm. and a real um, glimpse of our own mortality. And, you know, this is why I'm here. This is why there are funeral professionals out there at the end of the day, if, if they're a good one, which most of us are, you don't get in this job and last long if you're not willing to really be a good funeral professional. Yeah. Our job is to, to tell you these things because you don't talk about them. You, mm-hmm. you don't think about wills and you don't think about pre-needs and you don't think about what you actually want to leave behind your legacy. 
And you don't realize that someday you will die. Now, it may be a second from now or maybe 45, 50, 60, 70 years from now. But I can assure you, you will die. Mm -hmm. And that is so hard for people to understand is that, no, I got time. I got, I got time. How many, I'm sure you hear this a lot too, Mitzi, in, in your yeah. field of work is I have so much time to do this. No. Yeah. And the older we get, the, the more we realize that the, the old timers were so right when they said time flies mm -hmm. and you'll blink and you know, now your, your kid is in high school or is now is getting married or now is retiring and you're, oh gosh, where did the time go? So, and I deal with so many families where it's, it's very hard. It's very hard because they didn't have the conversation mm -hmm. with their kids. They didn't have the conversation or maybe they had one, they told one kid, they wanted a cremation. The other kid, they wanted a burial. So now they're fighting mm -hmm. because they want to make sure mom, mom or dad gets what they wanted, but they don't know. Yeah. I'm a family yeah. therapist, um, that specializes in grief and death. Oh, and perfect. So I, I work with a lot of regret. Um, oh, either gosh, they didn't yes. have the conversation, um, they're left with a lot of possessions and a lot of times that cause a lot of family fighting and trauma. Um, oh my gosh, yes. and so, yeah, my, the work here, just like you're doing your podcast, right. And we're just doing death education and planting those seeds. And any, I hope people can just hear little bits here and there that will help them, um, get your will done. Uh, we're, you know, we're broken <laughs> records a little bit, get your will done, do your advanced directives, um, deal with any I, extra possessions that you have. So your family doesn't have to, uh, and write it all down. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, we, we just, we, we, uh, Dr. Nick and I do a clubhouse every Thursday too, um, from, um, nine 30 to 10 30 Eastern standard time. And, and literally we just did one yesterday and I, I challenged everybody in the room, write your own obituary. Mm -hmm. Write your own obituary. You'd be surprised at what you may or may not come up with. Or, sorry, the phone's ringing in the background. <laughs> funeral, funeral, funeral director. <laughs> um, so you might be surprised, and you might think of something different. I've written, I've written three for myself, and every time I write one, it's completely different because wow. you do, you evolve. It's not what you thought was important is not really that important anymore or something else has come up that's more important or how you want it to be done, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I thought that was a good way for people to, and if you could do it with your family, sit in a room with your family and have that one dinner, it doesn't have to, you don't have to talk about it every time it, cause that would be a yeah. pretty sad feel. Okay. Now <laughs> I know we talked about it the last seven days, but we're going to talk about my death again. Like I get it. I get that. It's not the greatest conversation, yeah. but all I'm ask is if you have one with your family, if you mm -hmm. sit down with all your kids and your spouse, if you have a spouse and you let them know what you want, mm -hmm. even if it's, you don't put anything on paper, you don't put anything, you don't put any money down. Even if you just have that conversation of this is where I want to go. This is the funeral home I want to go. This is burial, cremation, et cetera. It makes the arrangement and the grieving process so much smoother mm -hmm. because the idea is, and this is why I, I think pre-need is so important, whether monetary or not. The families that deal with pre-need, when they, when they get done with the arrangement, they can actually experience the funeral. Mm -hmm. They can actually be present for the memorial service or yes. gathering or, or end of life thoughts. Mm -hmm. When, if they're dealing with, okay, now I got to get to secretary of state. Now I got to get to mm -hmm. the, the, you know, I got to get take, take dad's name off the title and all that. They're not thinking about, they're not, they're not present for the funeral. 
yeah. at all. And if Especially, you, oh, go ahead. And, and I'm guessing you see this all the time and I've seen enough in my own experience where if you've seen the difference of a family that has it done and gets to experience a funeral versus a family that has not, um, that would be priceless if we could package that up and, and show that to people because it is so different. Night and day, night, night and day. And day. Hmm. Um, it, it is so, it's in theory, such an easy thing. Sit down one time with your family and talk it over, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the hardest thing for some. And, and yeah. you listening yeah. out there, if you haven't had the discussion, me and Mitzi are not judging you by any means, form or shape. No, I'm judging them. Okay. She's judging. I'm not. <laughs> we understand it is not an easy, but, but you realize, I think when you got, when you get done with it, when you get done with that, you'll be surprised at what comes out of that meeting. Mm-hmm. And you might, you might cry a little bit. You might laugh a little bit. You know, I, I always find humor is always the best way. There's always one person in the family that is kind of the odd screwball that decides, okay, it's getting a little, it's getting a little bit stuffy in this room. I'm going to throw in a fart joke or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it always happens at arrangements. There's always one. And I always laugh because it relieves so much pressure and tension in the room, right? Yeah. It's like 20 pounds get released from a room, especially if it's like the first arrangement where we didn't get the opportunity to meet the family because it was at a hospital or somewhere mm-hmm. where, you know, because hospitals, yeah. they always put, they always make the, the body go down to the cold morgue. It's always like in the basement because mm-hmm. like, Nobody wants to see us funeral directors. Like, get those creeps out of here. We <laughs> this looks bad for the hospital. Um, so they're always like, okay, take the elevator that should have been out of service 30 years ago down to the <laughs> the bowels of the hospital to go get your loved one. But again, that's another another way that it's hidden. Oh, and absolutely. not honored, right? Why aren't we talking about it? who you know? I or we go to nursing homes. And they'll make all the patients go into their rooms. Yep. Or in the garage or the back elevators. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why? I think it's, and I went, I went to one nursing home and I got to give them so much credit. They put a quilt on over our, and they, and they, they have everybody come out. They have everybody come out and they almost make like an honor guard with all, all the, you know, um, the residents and the staff. And I'm like, that is so awesome they don't realize how what small thing that is that does wonders because they know that that person's dead they're gonna see that empty room the next day and be like okay i would have loved to have said goodbye or Mm -hmm. you know they meet these families they meet these kids of these people all the time it's it's not little the fact that they are doing that honor guard because the people just disappear just imagine that someone Mm -hmm. just disappearing from your community and no one talking about them again that loss, that ambiguous, like crazy making, <laughs> like what happened to Bob? I don't know. Where's my euchre partner? My pinnacle, <laughs> pinnacle bud. Yeah. We're not going to talk uh, about it. Like, no, no, we, we, we can't talk about that. Mincy. We can't talk about death. Are you kidding me? It's, we can't talk about it. <laughs> and they feel crazy. And then it's just compounded grief too, right? Like it's now it's Bob and now it's Margaret oh, yeah. and then it's Betty and they just start disappearing. Well, it's going to be me tomorrow, you know, <laughs> get back in, put my slippers. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is honoring it and, and making it a beautiful experience. They, they hide it and we have a long way to go. So yay. Fucking bravo to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and dad and I made sure to tell them like, that's really cool that you do that. And quite an honor to be honest. Right. Can we petition all the, all the nursing homes to do that. 
Oh my gosh. Well, another petition from the crazy funeral directors. Yeah, right. That, that'll go right in the old uh, filing cabinet garbage. <laughs> hey, well, can your brother and I like add some weight? Yes. On the other side yes. You got. You, you know. Um, that's why I always. Whenever I do something, I'm like, well, you know, I also have a twin brother who's a doctor, so he's got the dr on it. So. Um, but no, I, 100%. I mean, it's, it, and it's it, what I mean by small is it's small things that we can do Absolutely. to really just, we can, it doesn't, the reason why death is such a taboo is because we treat it like a taboo, yeah. right? We hide it. We, we conceal it. Um, even us funeral professionals forever wouldn't tell people what we did in the back room. Why? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with what we do in the back room. You know, I think I always laugh because if, if everybody could just spend a week with just like everybody else, if everybody could spend a week being at a funeral home, they would have their questions would go a their questions would go away and b they would understand and have a little more respect for death in, in general. And, you know, that's, that's a tough part being in today's um, society and climate with death is we're going into more direct, right? Direct cremation, direct burials. We don't want to and I hear this all the time. I don't want my grandkids to have to deal with my death. Mm -hmm. And I think, I know, obviously I would not say anything in the profession, but what an asinine comment mm -hmm. because they're going to deal with death, right? They're going to deal with you being gone. Just like you said, right? You can't just love somebody and then, okay, yep. Good. Moving on, like yeah. moving on up into yeah. the city. Um, no, you can't. And, and it, the more you love someone, the more it hurts, the more it hurts. And so it's, you know, it, 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 oh, it hurts me whenever I get the call. Is there any chance I could see grandma? Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Your grandma's been cremated mm -hmm. and just the silence on the phone. Yeah. Okay. You can't say anything. You can't help them at that point because what they wanted was closure. Mm -hmm. And just that second, just one hour, where people could come in, say goodbye. Because some, for some people, they don't need that. Some people don't need a grave spot or they don't need to see the body. And, 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 but others do. Others do. They need to see it to believe it. They need to process that. There is a reason why there was such a A, B, C, D, you know, arrangement, visitation, funeral, burial, mm -hmm. luncheon. You know, there's a reason why that has been like that forever, right? Mm -hmm. There is steps to that. And so now we're kind of going, well, we're just going to do nothing. You know, what I thought was interesting, and yet again, this is not a wrong or right for anybody listening, but I found it interesting that people are willing with, with studies now are willing to pay more for an after party mm -hmm. than they are for the funeral. So what are we saying about that person's death, right? Are we saying that, you know what, eh, let's get that done with so we can party, and especially if alcohol is there, which I think is very interesting too, which, I mean, that's been going on forever, centuries, right? Wakes, you know, especially Irish wakes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there was still the funeral. You still had the main funeral and then you had the social gathering after. There was nothing wrong with social gatherings. I think they're incredible. I think there's a reason for the luncheons to be able to continue and to have food with others, right? Banquet. But mm -hmm. if all we're willing to do is spend the money on the banquet, we're missing out on the death. And that's in a crucial part to some of us. It right? speaks, well, it speaks to our, our willingness. We just want to skip over the painful part. Any right. of the painful feelings, 
any fucking way that we can possibly do it. We are going to skip over those feelings. And people come in, your brother knows, you know, this, you were talking Mm -hmm. about a little bit before it's like, how can, when, when will this be done? And I'm like, sorry, bear the bear of bad news over here. Um, even though there are a ton of therapists that do believe they can solve grief, uh, with modalities, I know, but they're out there. Uh, I am not one of them. Your brother doesn't sound like he's one of them. You're no, not one of them. No. Um, and I'm like, bear bad news. Sorry. Um, but I'm going to sit here with you while you have these hard mm-hmm. feelings and we're going to process them out um, and give them that space. And that's what a funeral is for. And wailing. Oh, I fucking miss wailing. And that's a whole other episode. So um, I'm aware of time and we have a couple minutes here. And I just want to thank you so much for everything that you've brought up. Oh, so many pieces. I can't. Sorry. I, Can I, we just keep going? <laughs> we we could do part four, part five, part six. Okay. Um, I I, I love doing this. Uh, I do it at local high schools. I do it. You know, I, I really I'm really in the um, with my association. I'm we're trying to get out a pamphlet for high schoolers mm-hmm. because there's nothing literature on to become a funeral director at all. Go to any oh, wow. of your local schools and be like, yeah, I want to be a funeral director. Be like, uh, yeah, there's a funeral home. Go, go talk to that guy, like yeah. or that woman. Like, we don't. That's too. But now, so I'm working on that. And and, and yet again, I think I, I think the answer is this, Mitzi. If there is an answer, okay. if we can educate and start talking to the youth on death, mm-hmm. we will break the cycle. Okay. We will break the cycle because they will see the importance of it and they'll pass it down to their kids. What it is, is this gradual decline of the importance of what a funeral is, what grief is, what death is, mm-hmm. that has been skipped over generations now. You know, so if we can get there, what I find is interesting whenever dad and now me now, if we talk to children mm-hmm. at the visitation before people start coming, right? The main family visitation, we talk to the kids on why, why we have caskets and all this. At first, I thought my dad was doing it for the kids. And that is true. He was doing it for the kids. But what was interesting was when I looked up at the adults, the parents, you could tell they were having aha moments like, oh, I never knew that's how you could talk to kids. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had a couple of funeral directors that literally said to me, I don't understand why you talk to kids. A, they could, the parents could sue you. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess they could. But I mean, you could sue anybody for anything nowadays. Uh, but uh, the honest thing is, most of those parents don't know how to talk to their children on death. So if you can at least bridge the gap a little bit, it makes it easier on them too. And they can experience their grief because they're not worried about their kids going through the process. So yet again, education is important. I think we in the States need to have a program for death. Um, it's interesting we have, you know, we have sex education, you know, at a very young age, but we don't talk about death. We don't have death education. Yeah. There's no guarantee you're going to have sex, but I can guarantee you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. Huh. <laughs> you can think about it. I mean, so in true. high school, right? There's, I mean, I think it's even, I think it's middle school now, isn't there sex education in middle school? Yeah, I think so. Um, I went to Catholic school, so it was, it was all abstinence. But um, uh, when, you know, in, when you grow up, you have that, but there's no death education. There's absolutely none. And especially now with suicide and depression on the rise and younger suicides, especially with education and this, um, this uh, social networking society that we live in, you know, the kids are, that really kills their, their whole, um, um, 
their complex of, I will never die. You know, I'm young. I could do whatever I want. Oh no. A, we can die and B, we could do it to ourselves. Yeah. And then if we're not educating and we're not let, allowing them to ask the questions, no wonder they're growing up afraid of death. Yeah. And it goes to the same thing. The reason we fight having sex education in schools, the reason, because if we talk about it, they might want to do it. <laughs> and so the same, oh, they're not going to do it. Suicide, if we <laughs> right. We know statistically talking mm -hmm. about suicide does not increase suicide. It reduces oh. it. Um, talking about death does not make you die. Um, no, it does not. It uh, does even not. though one of my favorite um, little analogies to that, which is not for us, it's against us, but it's like, you don't pull the bus, the, the cord on the bus until you want to get off. Um, mm. is kind of one of those funny analogies for like, <laughs> why we don't talk about death. And I was like, touche. I, I appreciate Too, that. <laughs> well, I can tell you, Mitzi, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you are going to die someday. What? I don't know if you thought I know people keep telling me that. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. The question is, well, I still have this awesome hair when I die. Because if I don't, it could be an issue, right? I mean, America okay. is missing out if I don't have definitely <laughs> this quaff by the end of my time. Yeah, just in case anyone's uh, listening to this and not watching it on YouTube, you should go over to YouTube and watch it because Benny's hair. Just, I mean, it's. I mean, I have to. Sadly, I have to wear these ear things. You know, that just kind of poof it down a little bit. But you yeah, know, that's unfortunate. Oh. Oh, Benny, this was so fun. We are gonna do parts two, three, four, five. Please. I don't know when this is gonna happen, but we're gonna do it because you have a lot to say. And it was oh wonderful. Gosh. There's so many little avenues and you have a lot to say. I mean, <laughs> look what you're doing. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, because I think what we're doing is incredibly important and it's not being seen yet, but it will. And I, I laughed and this was the joke. Imagine if actually people started talking about death mm -hmm. and then talking about living was the taboo. Ooh. Could you imagine? Like I said, what if we got what to the, the point where everybody was talking about death so much, we forgot about talking about living and then we wouldn't have jobs, right? We would just be out. Like, I guess we, I guess we did what we needed to do. We can walk off into the, uh, the great yonder at that point. But I just yeah. thought that was funny. Like what if living became the taboo of talk? Okay. Well, that's a great goal to work towards. This is, we're going to do it. All right. 10 years, 10 year program. Okay. <laughs> No pressure, but here we here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Started today. Well, thank you, Day Mitzi, one. for having me on. I'm very, very honored to be on. Oh my gosh. You were an amazing guest. Thank you. And we will continue the conversation. Sounds good. Benny signing off.